Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Defen episode number 93 it says there. Yes, I think so. I don't know. I just keep up adding some number by looking at the previous one. I'm not sure if it is incremental or monotonically increasing. I have no idea anymore. It might as well be, you know, like 200 episode or 100 thing. Never know. Um but yeah, mystery. What I'm going to say? Yeah. Welcome to Defen and episode number <laughs> <laughs> something this is vijay from uh, from holland and dre as usual and then we have um, the second is it the second one or is it the third time you're coming malcolm with you yeah, i, 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 I so don't long, know but... i have to say after th- 93 mm. episodes the the intro is getting really polished and professional vijay <laughs> that's true right yeah 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 i apologize for that i mean this is not this is not something that you expect on, on this show you know <laughs> I get it, I get it. But uh, hey, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the, welcome to the podcast again. Uh, so we were talking about uh, what Emacs and um, oh, what happened to race uh, video? Okay. Oh. Yeah, I've just turned it off for a second. Don't worry. Ah, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. It's so race great audio here. <laughs> <laughs> we can't see him, and luckily you can't either. So we can continue. It's much more fun now. <laughs> Yeah, polished as ever, like so, you say, Malcolm. What, what a star this blog is. Right, come on. <laughs> Who is this blog? Yeah. Anyway, Malcolm, this Malcolm blog that we've heard, we've heard all about. Do you want me to introduce myself? Yes, oh, sir. Right. <laughs> I thought VJ was going to do it there. You know, it's like nah, in a super no, polished no, no, way. No. I mean, he, he, just, he just said it's super polished and I'm insulted now. So I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> it's, we're going to remove the polish now. Right, I'm uh, Malcolm Sparks, pleasure programmer, and I am CTO of a company called Juxt in the UK. And Juxt are a kind of closure projects, software engineering firm, and doing projects for clients. And uh, yeah, a lo- lot of stuff around uh, cl- closure, but now uh, lots of other languages as well. So kind of branched out from, from closure, but sort of our heart. My heart is still very much in the in a, the, the closure language, and uh, a lot of the things that I do and think about have been inspired by that journey. So, yeah. So also, it's the XTDB, right? The the product that that you guys are working on as well. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things that Jux have, over the years have sort of, you know, through the nature of consulting, is you write there by you know the, the trenches and you you discover things, and yeah. you reflect on things. So XTDB is one of those, and uh, mm-hmm. it's a so it's uh, I think. You know, XDB was really us trying to figure out how to pull out a really complicated thread inside of most projects, which is the thread of time. So, we've, you know, we've got this kind of philosophy around the, um, you know, simplifying. Well, the complexity is really that idea from Rich Hickey, Simple Made Easy, about complexity comes from these threads that are woven and tangled up which really should remain unwoven and untangled and uh, so we you know, conceptually kind of identify there's four constantly four threads that are always tangled up in systems and we've labeled them time data form and code but uh, you know mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a, a fun way a kind of set of principles really that if you try and keep things untangled it leads to simpler systems and that's the the bet that we're trying to you know research and see is that true and uh, yeah, we were just talking before the program about, uh, you know, the deep complexities of life in ops. And I think, I mean, all these kind of things, complexities <laughs> all kind of, they, they all come from the same sort of, uh, font. You know, they all, they all come from the same well, which is the, mm. you know, the, like just very, very, very early 
little complexities it starts off very early and then kind of gets amplified and amplified and then you get into such a mess you can't really go back and you're you're stuck yeah. Malcolm, we just want one thing. I mean, I don't know. It's a bit of a sort of sideways question or a sort of weird question, maybe. But I'll ask it anyway. But um, what I one of the things that I've noticed in like computer, like in my career as in computing, is that you've got a lot of these people that are talking about like how it's all gone wrong, and it's all gone wrong because these commercial people keep on asking us to do things that are that are compromising things, are doing things in a hurry, yeah. and yet it feels to me like that's a lot of horseshit, actually. We seem to be doing most of these things to ourselves. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's about time, like, we in the industry started, and you know, as developers, started to own that a bit as well. Yeah. You know, that we can't, like, just blame it on business and people, like, in product or whatever, you know, that we have to actually take responsibility for some of the shit that we're dealing with here. I think so. I think we have to ask the question, are we the bad guys? Um, yeah, <laughs> are we are we the baddies? <laughs> it's, it kind of feels a bit like we are, though. You know, a little bit like we've we've kind of got a bit drunk on our own supply, or a bit high on our own supply. You know, we think we can make all these things work, yeah. and then we then we hit some sort of barriers of complexity that we should have known would we would reach. Yeah, we could have known if we'd read the papers from twenty or thirty or fifty years ago. Yeah. But, but we it's, did, it's not that we black didn't... and white, right? There are no, I know, I know. Well, that's, that's the point about the conversation. Yeah. But you know, I yeah, do yeah, feel yeah. like that yeah. that we kind of like rush headlong into certain things and feel like we're doing great work, and then we hit boom, yeah, complexity, Should bam. Come up with some examples because I, I was reading a good example of that. We were talking about DevOps before, weren't we? Like, yeah, dev, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, have the devs made ops worse by, by yeah. you know <laughs> trying to do ops themselves? Have devs actually yeah. made it much more complicated? Well, a, a, an example. I mean, I'll give you a recent example yeah. of something that uh, work we were we were designing a new project that just this last couple of weeks, and um, one of the things that that came up was that we were we were looking at sort of like billing systems essentially, and you, you know every billing system has some, and every every company has billing, mm. you know, but and they tend to happen at the end of the month or or every month or every quarter or whatever yeah. whenever they happen. Um, so the question is like, well, how do you how do you actually how do you manage that? You know, how do you manage that that regular cadence of time? Because there clearly is time there. And then how do you make sure that that when something goes wrong, you don't miss a bill mm. or you don't miss a you don't miss some parts of that bill? And um yeah, it was quite interesting to think about how, although it's completely reliant upon time, how we can get time out of that system. So what we ended up doing was essentially like you know this uh, functional core imperative shell type thing, where the the schedulers and the time, the little clocks that tick over, that are at the very edge, and they eventually just produce some data, and these bits of data have actual time in them. You know they're the ones that have the time in them, and then all you're doing in your systems downstream is just relying on data that happens to have some time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's like um, you know when you test systems that are um, very time based, and you create a simulation. You know, you simulate test, and you control the clock, yeah. and you you yeah. your test cases. And I kind of feel that, in fact, that's how all systems should be built. Actually, they should all be simulations. They should all control time, and there shouldn't be any uh, physics in computer systems because physics is right. You know, so race conditions and timing, and you know. 
like uh, latencies, all of those things, building on that mess of physics is going to lead to horrendous complexity. What we're really looking for in computer science is abstractions that actually say, hey, yeah, physics is and the universe is really, really complex. But what we're going to do is massively simplify it for your business. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about mm-hmm. the complexity of physics and you can actually worry about this really pure, abstract, mathematical thing which is never going to go wrong. It's never, we're never going to run out of numbers. It's going to always be. <laughs> and that's, yeah. I think that's the trick. And we, if we, yeah. if we failed to do that and we've let, let, especially in ops, we've, we've let physics back in. And so everything then is, yes. uh, so, you know, things moving around pipes and kind of timing yep. latencies are all kind of, a source of great complexity. And that's kind of what, you know, I don't want to go there now, but it's kind of, one of the sort of feelings I had about, like, we've got to start again with moving state all back into the same place and sort of changing it consistently one frame after the other. We've got to make the whole thing like a computer game again and not like, yeah. not yeah. like a kind of, um, yeah, not, not like a real world uh, scenario. <laughs> distributed state. Distributed state, yeah. 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 Yeah, don't yeah. Distribute, even though the world distributes state, we, we shouldn't because if we do, we're, we're then making things much more real world, but the real world is nasty and complicated. And that, <laughs> what computers, that, you know, that, you know mm. we, we wouldn't have needed yeah. computers otherwise. We could just do it all. You know, the yeah. computers yeah. isn't just making things faster and automating and speeding things up. The computers were about being able to bring some, you know, mathematical abstractions to kind of solve problems that we wouldn't have been able to solve. Well, I mean, yeah. if you think about the very early times of like logarithmic tables and stuff like that, you know, exactly. that's that th- those those were essentially a kind of cache of pre-computed data, um, and that's that was really handy, you know, for navigation and stuff like that. Um, and the same way, you know, we, you want to try and build those kind of systems, which are just like you say, flawless, you know, like ballistics um, tables, you know, they're working out, you know, new. Motion and being able to work out how far a particular cannibal will, you know, to be able to work that out with maths is much yeah. deeper than just doing thousands and thousands of experiments with live cannibals because <laughs> yeah. pretty- you win more wars that way, that's for sure. But maybe we shouldn't talk about like launching the nukes and things like this because I, I feel like the world is full of this kind of stuff at the moment. <laughs> another thing I, I was struck by with the, on the, well, just as another, in the spirit of finding other examples where devs have been yeah, yeah. bad baddies and um, i was watching today you know that just looking at uh, hacker news this i think this afternoon and there's a article about html first and it's essentially about the front end and about how mm. we started off with something really nice html you could view source it and you know for somehow mm. devs brought all of the baggage from the back end to so this actually quite beautiful thing early browsers had html and everyone thinks oh that's such a simple age but actually it wasn't that either the age before it was it wasn't like we just had computers invented the day before. Yeah. It was actually um, a great application. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. And so people think about the web, the early HTML browsers and all that stuff. Oh, it's so simple, you know, and, and too simplistic. And, it will. and so we brought all this tooling and we've ended up with stuff like React where everything has to be like you have to build chain and tool chain. It all has to kind of, you know, spit out this gargantuan JavaScript file, which is to totally impenetrable and actually this article was saying no we want to go back to html where you can 
right click and view source and you can teach people mm-hmm. that and go, you know, read it. And they were talking about, you know, Tailwind and CSS and, you know, well, really just about trying to make everything open and accessible mm-hmm. and tangible again. And uh, I think that's another thing, you know, every, any time I've actually really grown a dislike for build chains and anything that actually mm-hmm. takes any sort, you know, call it source code, and turns it into and then turns it into something oh, else yeah. because I, because it's a yeah. it's a non trans you know non reversible operation and you've just yeah. made it harder for the person receiving the compiled derived artifact to figure out what went wrong. Since since we're talking about closure, by the way, just I mean I think let's bring it right back home. Hmm. Why the fuck do we not just ship code? Like I I I've been saying this for like, I don't know, God knows how many years. Yeah. But why are people compiling code in Clojure? Why? I mean, okay, for ClojureScript, you have to do it. Forget that yeah. for the moment. Well, although uh, let's talk about Skittle in a moment, but, you know, and what Bork Dude is doing to make that really a possibility. Mm. If you've got Clojure, you put the code there, you run it. There's no change required. Mm. Now, people will bang on about performance and stuff like that, and I get it, but that should be an edge case, you know? Prove to me your performance is really terrible and it needs to be compiled then you can add that step in if you really need to but that should be that should be something which is like not normal you know it should be something which is normally you just put the code on the server and run it like php or something yeah. we we've isn't got this, a list isn't this inherently got... the 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 design of it that because we are running on jvm and i think as malcolm you're pointing out that it turns into something else before it runs right so it's 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 also going to turn into JVM. We don't notice that when it we? is running there. That's the whole point about closure is we yeah. don't care about that. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, yeah, yeah. the closure code does get shipped, and that's kind of one of the yeah. advantages, I think, of closure over Java. Because in Java, make mm. the point a lot that we had class files. So you open up a jar file, yeah. you get class files, yeah. and then you decompile yeah. it. So you really benefit from just seeing the closure files as they are, and that yeah. they are, of course, compiled. That, you know, but dynamically using during class loading, and those yeah. are the opt- optimo- those optimizations are done, but they're done in such a way to make them invisible to you or to most people. You're only seeing that, and then of course, like the JVM does that with its hotspot compiler. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And, and so I think you know definitely do build steps, but do them just in time and make them completely invisible. But the problem is that the, the build step that we bring. You know, the whole React talk chain is not invisible at all. You know, to the people who receive that code in the browser, just see this mm. kind of completely opaque. But isn't this because of the cargo culting or maybe I'm going to use my newly learned humanities knowledge, like the grand narrative, buying into some sort of a grand narrative, right? Because you you start with, oh, you know, everybody is doing JavaScript. I mean, we did plain HTML, CGI stuff, Perl CGI and all that shit. When I started, that that was okay. You know, you have some templates here and there, and then there is a bit of a reusability. Um, so when I was writing it using Perl and CJ and Apache, you know, that 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 was the beginning of it. Yeah. And then we started having this um, when when Gmail came onto the scene. That is the explosion of this spa or single page applications, JavaScript being doing all this magical stuff in the browser, and people were blown away by it. And then because until then we we were used to this rich user interfaces on the desktop and everybody wanted to have those things on in the browser and you know removing the issue of software delivery because you don't need to build and send it that was the buy-in right and then everyone started jumping onto this bandwagon regardless of the 
whether there is a use case or not right and 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 now if you talk if you're talking about react for example it's like every application is is has to be react for some reason every application needs to start with this 200000 npm you know package json yarn install and this, it seems like you know going back to are we the baddies and <laughs> the reason being like thinking that there is a grand narrative when it is not everything is like a local ones which are much more optimized but on the other hand what i see is when you buy into the local narratives like like closure for example then you're limited by tooling then you're limited by you know the 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 libraries then you're limited by the community i think it's kind of a weird situation uh, i don't know if 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 are we the bad you know are we the baddies yes when we buy into the grand narratives but we are still the baddies when the smaller communities don't have the same level of support uh, does it does it make sense or is it am i ranting now <laughs> <laughs> it's a difficult thing to sort out. I don't know what the, <laughs> what the right answer is. I mean, I do like I I almost think we're in a fortunate position to have JavaScript running natively in browsers. That's a really good thing. It's not you know perhaps yeah. in the future it'd be WASM or something. We'll have to write everything in Rust and compile it and you know. But there'd be a, a great shame when browsers turn off support for JavaScript because the yeah. ability to just go into the console and you know it's it's really a kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. experience and uh, one but there there doesn't seem to be like a simpler idea of you know oh why why everyone is writing javascript it, because it's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy now because there is more tooling available and more training material available you know more debugging tools available which it which, which is a bad thing that means you're constantly debugging shit <laughs> but but there are tools there <laughs> But isn't it, isn't it really you, just like yeah. the like what should we say? It's like the unexpected yeah. consequences of success, because mm, you know, yeah. really JavaScript itself. I mean, you know, if you're saying who is the bad guys, I mean, you would argue that. I mean, I'm not going to say Brendan Eich was a bad guy <laughs> because he wasn't, you know, but he kind of was in the sense that, uh, or maybe the people that again, it's like coming back to the point I was making originally, which is that to some extent the people were saying oh you know you've got to make this language and it's got to look it's got to be looking a little bit like java or it's got to have the curly braces or whatever even though you don't mm. want that or you know it's got to have certain Let's things call it javascript you know and then you know you make you know, and he, he whatever he he took a couple of weeks to make it and you know and now we've got this javascript and then for whatever reason that the tech debt wasn't paid back you know <laughs> i mean you know i don't know if he's like oh actually i'm quite happy with this equals thing you know this all works out for me you know i, I don't give a shit or, or whether he feels like you know not a number is fine or whatever is undefined you know maybe these are the things but you know so but that's the sort of technical debt of that language yeah. that in the end it was part of the browser which was a massive success and so now we're just all contending with that platform. And all of these things you're talking about in terms of code delivery and tree shaking and all these kind of things are optimizations of delivery. I mean, you know, the wonderful thing about the web is delivery of software on demand, but then you want to optimize for it. So, you know, you get back into these kind of uh, these the bits of work that people do to optimize for that delivery because they don't want to, you know, they want to say, well, why why should every person you know, pay, especially if they're paying on their phone bills or whatever, or their data plans, why should they be downloading 100 meg when they can just down 10 meg because we can tree shake it out? So, mm. you know, I think we're living in a kind of 
that's an optimizing world, isn't it? You know, that's a kind of a world of pain on the back end to make it a bit nicer on the front end. Mm. So there's reasons for it. There's always reasons for these things. You know, there's, no one's doing something without good cause, but the problem no, is this I narrative say, I thing. Say good that, cause, and just no, but, but cause, I think you know? <laughs> no, but I think the narrative thing is that you're hitting the nail on the head there, VJ. I think because the narrative thing is the problem. Is that why does everything have to be like this? You know, it doesn't. Not everything yeah. has to be like that. There are we finding the boundaries between what has to be like this and what can be like something else. That's the constant struggle of computing. I feel. I, I think it's a search for the search for the bright abstractions, and you. If everybody is doing tree yeah. shaking and knows about tree shaking, if that even is a word that has common, um, is in the common developer lexicon, then we've sort of failed because. Like uh, it should be like there's a, there's a huge amount of work that's gone into JVM garbage collection over the years, right? And then there's people mm-hmm. who understand garbage collectors in incredible detail, and they would know. But, but most people just use them, and they don't even have to know they exist most of the time. It's just something that yeah, yeah. so built into. So so that that is an abstraction that has really succeeded, and it kind of felt that it really should have got to the point. Where web development had that, and we always talk about this as is, is an indication we've got the wrong model of HTTP. We talked about CGI. I think CGI mm. is, was a good placeholder model, but we shouldn't. We should have run away from it eventually. Uh, it should, yeah. And in fact, we didn't. We, we've we've just we're, we're still in the CGI. So CGI stands for Common Gateway Interface, and it's this yeah. idea that the the web server, when it can't, when it isn't serving a file. A resource and wants to do something dynamic it has to call a program and the way it does that it says well i'm going to call a program and here's everything i know about the request and just tell me everything just give hand me on a plate the response and i will send that to the client and then that's the that's the interface it's so low level that the mm-hmm. programmers of that uh, the back end of that cgi have to know everything about http requests and http responses such that everybody mm-hmm. in the world who does web development has to be a garbage collection expert or has to work at that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's where I think the CGI as an abstraction is the wrong one. You know the yeah. wrong one because people are working, too many people are working at too low a level and, and a lower low level is bad. And, you know, you need to have experts who understand the lower levels, you know, know how plumbing and sewage and steam engines yep. stuff work, right? But, but then the rest of us should, be standing on the shoulders of those giants and being able to reach yet higher, higher things, right? But when we don't, yeah, yeah. we're you know what's the phrase? We're treading on the it's, it's, uh, treading on the toes of dwarves or something. Like that. The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the so, yeah, we're all we're all standing in mud. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just layers and layers of mud. <laughs> because so in terms of like the CGI thing, then Malcolm, I mean, you know, what what kind of thing are you thinking? Because you know, one one way of, th- I mean, you know, we we're always like talking about like goddamn HTTP codes and stuff like mm-hmm. this. You know, that's the bike shedding dream, isn't it? You know, oh, you know, let's let's spend a week just deciding whether it's two or four or two or three or two yeah. or one or whatever the shit yeah you know it's like is that what you're talking about it's like should we be like having a better set of abstractions over that yeah t- you know? totally in the same same way as we don't really anyone who, who writes an ftp client or you know anytime you use an ftp library or use a tcp library to send a packet to something you don't have to worry oh do i have to put a 
is this IP version four or version six? What, what, or where do I put the destination IP address? You don't. You just you just create a TCP socket in whatever language you just send something. You don't have to worry about all the details of the TCP IP protocol. And you just, you certainly don't talk about return codes and axim and all that. You know, I don't yep. even, you know, I can't remember that stuff. And I can't remember it because I don't use it every day. Thank goodness. Right? Yep. If you don't know about Nagel's algorithm, then I don't want to speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't. I, don't, I know it was it John Nagel that came up with it and it was his algorithm. I don't know. It was something to do with flow. <laughs> the thing is, you know, that's the thing. That other people... That's how, like, how, that's how human progress works. Because other people know all the hard stuff, so you don't need to. That's yeah, exactly. How do we make nuclear reactors? Not on first print. Not by not by all of the tooling. All yeah. it's a crazy, really. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. the same. It's the same everywhere, right? I mean, making food, making you know whatever that you want. You know, if you want to make it, make a table. You're not gonna okay. Let me find some land and then plant a tree and <laughs> then get the wood later. And then you know. Re- build my own tools yeah exactly i mean it's, that, it's that, not going to happen you know the key spark of any uh progress is if you got everybody making their own food and making their own cakes and you know then yeah it's fine they can get good you know but you just you everything's a cottage industry until somebody figures out how to like what are the right organization of labor to actually yeah. start then the trend to kind of you know make, make it ever cheaper to create cakes and then you then you start in manufacturing and you, you you start being but there is there is there is the question of the line right because you can say okay you know um, everybody is just bring writing their own abstractions and then repeating the same you yeah. know grunt work on the other hand everybody is using j2ee and then writing super complex ejbs and shit and then they, that that seems to be the 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 struggle right i mean compared to closure and compared to other languages and even today, after I think it's been 12 years, 15 years in the community, mm. you know, uh, looking at these communities, every now and then someone comes in and then says, is there something like Rails here? Is there something <laughs> like, you know, there, there, there is always seems to be like people who are, oh, it's a, you know, libraries that I'm going to plug together. And that, that's where I have my freedom. And then on the other hand, the, the cargo culting level, like, oh, give me ABC generate and then, and then continue. <laughs> But, it, but coming back to that, though, VJ, isn't it because, like, let's say we as an industry, we we basically again, I think we, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of arrogance in the industry, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of thinking that we're they're much we're, they're much further along than we really are. Um, mm. You know, when I when I started, I was using like you know C and um, then eventually um, Java, but but using C felt terrible. I mean, you know, there's lots of four GL languages. You know, there's lots of languages that were meant to be better. But yep. we're, we're you know we're 30 years on now, and C and Rust and things like that are still. I mean, they're very very ridiculously low level languages. Um, yeah, and even Clojure is quite a low level language. Um, mm. You know, so we're we're still stuck there. We're still stuck at that kind of we can't escape that level of language. I mean, and I don't know what you is, feel about that, it? Malcolm. I mean, whether because it's yeah. like this notion that we're we're still stuck at the very beginning. Yeah, you know, we are. And the I think you know, just let me um, with this kind of search for the right abstraction. The problem, is the right abstraction is zero point zero zero one percent of all abstractions that you can find. I mean, there's less yeah, 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 yeah. wrong 
avenues. And yeah, naturally, yeah. the benefit of languages like Clojure is that they just let you go through and it, they, because they let you turn over and search, they're search tools, really. Your search yeah, good right way of putting it, yeah. And you can, yeah. you can get through a load of bad abstractions mm. quickly. You've got tight feedback loops and you can play around with things. And you know, mm. that was mm. actually one we were talking to on the, on the Juxcast, not to plug another podcast on your show, but, but then <laughs> with uh, Ken Beck, he was. Talking. Well, there, there, are, there are other podcasts in closure. That's, nah, well, no, this <laughs> is the only one. Well, <laughs> But, Dropping the Kent back oh, there no, as well. I mean, Jesus oh, yeah. Christ! You know, it's like, we have. Well, that's all. That's all we have in this show. Yeah, no. That's it for the episode, guys. And then we're gonna we're gonna you know remove the redact the mentions of competing products on this on this show. Anyway, but seriously, is that well, the latest yeah, latest great, episode? Great podcast with great big names. Yeah. Go on, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> His argument for test-driven development was that it was just a tool to, to be able to try out lots and lots of solutions mm-hmm. really quickly yep. and get rid of all the rubbish yeah. ones. You know, and that's yeah, I, I yeah, know yeah. It's, it's about it's about the speed at which you can. But 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 the attitude I think is to know that most of your solutions, especially the early ones, are not the right ones, and you should actually mm-hmm. be very careful about going for the first choice. I mean, with uh, Rich Hickey's talk at Closure Con earlier this year it was about you know stop and create a decision matrix or a spreadsheet just to start enumerating your solutions don't just go for the first one and unfortunately Mm. i think test-driven development yeah that spirit of research and exploration was lost and it became just a a quick way of getting everybody to get to the keyboard and building working software it doesn't matter you know you'll be able to change it but you know go for the first solution and sometimes that first solution if you unless you've got that spirit of well the first solution is likely to be wrong but this is the problem so so many of these development teams you're under such pressure to implement the next feature you've got you know half an hour with your you you know so by the time you've done your first solution you've run out of time that's it go on to the next thing and so we just build pile on pile on all of these poor layers and we're into the layer after layer after layer and we think all those layers are right but they're not they're just they could be there's so many different alternatives that we could have found and i think some of them if you find the right ones and you know we the cgi i think is just that nobody has really challenged that because it's got so it's become so entrenched that it's almost yep. very difficult to show people that there are probably 100 other ways of doing the same problem well the classic way that i've addressed that is web sockets and then people get very mad at you for going with WebSockets because they say, oh, you're, you're making a new protocol for every single uh, API or every single call. I'm thinking you're doing that on the fucking REST services anyway. Yeah. You know, half these people are not using, they're not using, there's a, <laughs> I don't know what fraction of people use Hatios, but, mm. you know, mm. I don't even think why Fielding is using Hatios for his own website. Mm. You know, I imagine that, you know, Hyper and the whole idea of hypermedia as the engine of, of state or whatever, you know. This, yeah, I mean, yeah. people don't know even know what that means. You know, we're talking about abstractions. You know, I mean, Hatios was like maybe it's an interesting idea, but it's like it's totally fallen on the floor. No one's picking that up. Well, one and, person is the HTMX person is picking yeah, that up. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, just a, well, it, it, yeah, yes and no. I would say. Um, don't you think that like this whole idea of um, well, okay, maybe you can explain to well, me what what why why that is happening. So rather than me sort of 
<laughs> fighting, fighting in the mist. You can explain why that is. Why? Also, we've had discussions of HMX recently, but I think a lot of people, I know, I know vaguely what it is now, but maybe it's for everyone get on the same page. What what do you uh, what are you talking about? This HMX magic. Well, I, I mean, Hatios is about the the, the um, your application goes through a number of states. And that is you. Yeah. Uh, you can map that onto really um, a, a user clicking on links and it go to go to mm. the next state. And so the yeah, next yeah. state in each of the uh, so when you when you look at a web page that really is the state of an application. It could be it could be generated or so on, but it has all of the 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 links are the paths to you know in a state transition diagram to go to the next state. And that the, you can define the whole application as kind of state uh, you know state transition diagram. Um, and I think that that is uh, an idea that um, I, th- I think is because we've really turned the web um, away from hyperlinks and we've turned it into this kind of, kind of client server thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, people are going back to the thinking, well, actually, there was something in links, you know, that like when you, you know, when you can't even click you know when you can't click a link because you get a pop-up or something it's frustrating when you you know people sort of like i I really love links when you you know you're the magic of being on a kind of wikipedia page and then saying oh no i wonder what you know you're looking up some like thomas jefferson oh i don't know much about how click on him and then you oh he was a inventor something you know and and you just you just go off and you learn you know you explore things with links and i think a lot it wasn't the wasn't the idea behind this um backlinked or the traceable exploratory document version of the web you know servicing a specific type of or, or maybe you know most of the web exploration kind of use case but uh i'm i'm just going to throw in a question like you know okay so what is wrong with the sorry it's my bike <laughs> what is wrong with the <laughs> um with the client server thing because you know that 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 was there before http right we have finger we have go for yeah. all, all sorts of protocols on the web before which basically disappeared because of the HTTP and becoming the predominant thing. Oh, uh, well, um, what was wrong? With what do you think is the... Yeah, yeah, yeah well, yeah. I mean, the, and we had lots of client applications and, you know, things written, yep. you know, Visual C++ and, you know, app, apps and like we have today. And what was wrong with yep. it is it was, um, it was expensive because everybody had to write, you know, you had to have a development team write each client. Well, yeah, whatever yeah, it was yeah. able to do is because it was able to create a sort of standard HTML language. It meant that you could actually run a browser. A single, you only had to have one team write a browser. So yeah, you know, now we've only have was it two browsers now? Chrome and yeah. derivatives <laughs> and Firefox. And so there's only when you talk about mm-hmm. kind of um, economies of human, we talked about like you know um, societies creating a surplus. You know, and the actual ideas. You know, yeah, trying to be yeah. as optimal as possible. So you don't want to have, to you know, you don't want to have people um, working on the same thing and reinventing the same wheel. Well, no one's reinventing the browser wheel anymore because yeah, yeah. If, but but then I mean, I'm I'm just gonna be contrarian mm. for the for the <laughs> sake of being contrarian, I yeah. guess. Yeah. But isn't that isn't that the whole reason why when we had this, you know, uh, um, what is it called, electron-based apps being you know, everywhere, and then suddenly one security issue in Electron app. Now it's there, there are so many apps that we don't know are using Electron, and then we had this security issue, like from Slack to from every 
weird application using this one, then suddenly need to be, you know, they're based on the same same thing. Um, that anyway, I mean, maybe well, no, no, okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a big know, deal, everybody's. But, yeah. If you yeah. if you end up making things so efficient efficient that there's no redundancy at all, right? That you're only, yeah. um, you know, if you're only like surviving off one food type, and because that's yeah, you yeah. know, and that <laughs> that's not that's not sustainable. Yeah, so it, you know, there's if there's no redundancy at all. But I think that the the it wasn't that the pre-existing world there were no security problems because we had this huge, oh yeah i mean there were they were there it's just that with electron you can fix it with a patch that you can distribute mm. out yeah. incredibly efficient way they're not saying that mm. so i think it's a bit of a different argument um oh definitely mm. you can uh, you know can have vulnerabilities if you everybody yeah. uses the same stuff and uh, you should you know avoid certainly you don't want to, that there to be a mono monoculture when that monoculture certainly when it's built on some proprietary standard built you know owned by one monopoly like microsoft or aws yeah that's yeah. yeah. kind of a terrible thing so uh, i think the you know the, the the hope is that when you do arrive at these things that we can all agree on that the uh, that uh, that person who governs the, you know there's no single company that govern that agreement that that is something that is done in the public domain and we all you know in in the commons and the commons is governed mm. by the commons and not by private that's the da- yeah that's the danger of like to me i mean that's the danger of chrome because Fi- firefox is basically the open source version mm. um, not of chrome but an open source browser and chrome i know they like pay lip service to having chromium as the open source version of chrome but really it's something else you know well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's Chrome. I mean, that's the problem with people misunderstanding what a standard is. A standard is something that that is, you know, you write down and something that is a very simple contract that that anybody can that that, that permits lots of different implementations. So, mm-hmm. the, you know, having group bodies like the Internet Engineering Task Force and the W3C, they, they come up with the standard. The problem with the the tragedy of the browser is that the implementers have become so important, like Google, and that they've mm. raced ahead and then created. You know, the standards are so vast now that no, that that they're, they're sort of easy to capture. Because the, the 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 cost of entry into the market into the browser market is is like well, the cost of entry into making a mobile phone with the um, GSM mm. standard. It's just so so huge so many standards in gsm that you'd have to implement that there is no way that any one company could ever enter that market ever again and so you end up end up with only a very small number of monopolists in that market Mm. yeah i think i mean basically if it wasn't for google trying to acquire traffic from firefox that would also run out of money yeah yeah give like half half a billion a year towards firefox just so they can be the default search engine yeah, it, it's a sort of a little theatre, little game that they're playing to sort of yeah. sleight of hand of distraction to not look like a monopoly player. But that's what monopolists do. They hide in yeah. the shadows until they've reached such an entrenched monopoly position. They can come out and they're, they're, in, and they're unassailable. And that's mm. so Google are waiting for that moment and it's just but but it's not it, it's not a small project right running you know building a project building a web browser no it's but it might small, but it, it, uh, it, it, know, it, 
thing is, if if there was more attention, more browsers in the browser market, and there was more attention yes. to the importance of having lots and lots of players, yeah. then the standards yeah. would move slower, actually, because it would take longer for getting people to agree. And we would have yeah. perhaps less features in our browsers, perhaps, but um, they again, they would be better abstractions. What, what we've done is we've just allowed browser manufacturers or like Google to race ahead very quickly mm. and define what those standards are uh, and at a rate that nobody else can, can can catch up with. Yeah, but there is no there is no incentive for people to build these these foundational software. I mean, especially when it is such complex, right? I mean programming languages, it seems like these days they're they're dime a dozen. Like it's very easy to come up with your programming language because most of the tool chain is already been there thanks to GNU or thanks to you know all the open source software being there already. Mm. Um, you know, built out of universities, you know, because it, I think that, that it, it, it all links to the economic reality of the thing, right? I mean, the, the entire point of Google designing a browser to make it everywhere so they can sell more ads, you know. I think the one of the um, uh, talks that I saw at Strange Loop uh, from creator of uh, Evan, thing, Evan you know, like the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, he's talking about the real estate, you know, yeah. like the... So fantastic so the, talk, the, the, yeah. Really nice one, yeah. So, so it seems like... For Microsoft and and Apple and potentially some Linux distributions, open source contributors have some you know incentive to build browser because it's like the next uh, critical piece mm. in the in the you know the um, the layers of software that people are going to use. Mm. So there was there was a couple of other browser engines on on um, uh, certainly on KDE on and you know all these things and they, they were there already. But for Microsoft again, operating system so it makes sense. And then for for Apple over instance, but for Google, their only incentive was to make it so popular so they could make they could be the default search engine, mm. right? And and if we are talking about hey, they should let let their you know thousand flowers bloom, <laughs> but but where is the incentive, right? You know, writing this foundational software, it, it takes time, it takes money. It yeah, takes but I think that's Malcolm's point though is that once they yeah. are a monopoly now, and it's very difficult to yeah. unseat monopolies without regulatory effort or without some yeah. other big big company like Apple, for example, deciding yeah. to put some big investment into it. And you kind of yeah. thought Microsoft would do it, but they obviously capitulated. And, yeah. and that, that's yeah. you know, that's a worrying trend, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there might, there, 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 this is yeah. So I mean there might be something in the web standards that, that allow I mean I think that the standards are absolutely excellent in in, in the in, in the protocol space in HTTP. And I think those are that they um, have really stood the test of time, and where what I fear is that the the number of browser-based API standards, you know, that have come in that have made it very difficult for people to catch up. But I, I think they could be. Um, there are some solutions I could, you know, that come to mind where perhaps you could have an agreement on a micro profile of HTML and CSS, and sort of go back to you know something that is more primitive but that would say it might be much much easier to create a rendering engine of and then certain sites would say oh, okay we, we are going to implement not you know text slash html but text slash micro html or something like that you know so that they can mm. they can um, produce a very kind of cut down um version i think there's been you know like in OpenGL, that was the webgl and was much cut down and yeah, yeah. There, I think there's kind of precedence for this where we could really just now we've got this huge number of APIs to pick from we could probably you know go back to 
you know, but the, you know, one, another problem is that we, a lot of websites of trying to become mobile apps, and they've got so so much React and Java. There's so much uh, JavaScript they have to. So performance becomes massive, and you know, and then everybody wants it to look exactly the same because in the early days, browsers yeah. would actually do a different rendering of you know sometimes you know, have IE and Mosaic yeah. for it, and they would maybe have different. Yeah. Well, don't you find these days you go to websites. You know where it works for Fire uh, Chrome, but it doesn't work for Firefox. Yeah, and th- that yeah. that's that is that's appalling in my opinion. Well, this website. So then, well, then basically, Chrome is the new yeah. IE IE six or whatever or whatever it was in yeah. IE three. You know, because yeah. now you, you people end up like writing. I mean, it's the the things that are like bad are things like security models or you know the kind of the extensions that that Chrome has made, mm. um, and that Google have made, sorry, to things. You know, like AMP works better on Chrome, for example. You know, there are certain add-ons above that uh, that are obviously horrible. I mean, AMP is one mm. of the worst things. But um, but it, my point anyway is that when you have these when you have these things and they start to be impossible to usurp because the, the distribution. Of of Google is now, oh, actually every corporation will pre when the the, the the operating system like the Mac comes with a browser, mm. but the a lot of people will pre will pre install Chrome on top of the existing browser. Mm. Why? Why do they do that? Well, I'll be... answer me now. <laughs> <laughs> you know they shouldn't have to. You know it's ludicrous. For... You know? I, I I use Brave slash Chrome for Zencaster. That is the only thing because this this you know the thing that we are recording on right now it works better yeah. on this one, and I don't have time to debug this shit on Safari. Yeah, this this, this oh, thing, this yeah, Zencaster Safari, does yeah. not work exactly. on Firefox. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it was exactly, a great example. It was exactly the yeah. same twenty years ago where everybody had Windows yes. and everybody had to run Office, and you couldn't you know yeah. you, you couldn't get an Office document from LibreOffice that would work with your Microsoft, yes. you know, and so everybody you had companies that says you know we standardize on Microsoft Office, and then that that obviously <laughs> that meant that you, we standardized on it. Yeah, great. <laughs> but, but, but what happened is that very little uh, incentive for Microsoft to innovate on on Office yeah. for many years, and you you get a stagnation of innovation, and so the the real problem is that um, you know standards are the thing we've learned that standards are slow, but they are worth being patient and and to to work towards. They are they really they've got a long tail value, and we you know by racing ahead to try and make the the web browsers a media platform, you know the the Netflix thing, you know try everybody wanting to to uh, import proprietary codecs into browsers, which is what mm, meant mm, that mm. It, it then became very difficult for open source browsers to, mm. to succeed. And um, so we're learning those lessons over and over again, that if you don't, if you don't work hard to be patient and to work on standards, you end up getting, you handing the whole, the whole thing to the, the monopolist who wins, who, who, however they win, you're in, you're, and then that's it, that, 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 that whole industry comes to a halt and, not not a shuddering halt, but it's a slow decline until you realize that yeah, yeah. something else has to come. You know, there was no yeah. like nothing. You know, when everything was when all the world's information was locked into 
Microsoft Word documents. You know, that that was yeah. it. There was no other you could send them over emails and things like that. But you know, it 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 then stagnated to the point that that's what made the web so compelling because suddenly that was a new thing that people could then access information free. And and that's because of coming back to what the the, the hyperlink really was was all yeah. there. But that that's the that's the hyperlink kind of saved us from this kind of lock in. It allowed the, the the to hyperlink you know to hyperlink from one domain or web, one website all the way to something else so it was a very really anti-locking device <laughs> i love this idea that that uh what's it called Lado, the the musk boy said that uh we're, we're, i'm going to prevent links running from x to other competing social networks that's because these guys are crazy i mean you know you're right i mean you know i'm, I'm not trying to blame the, the commercial people in the end because i want to try and stay a lower level but you know since we sort of came up to that point you know <laughs> sometimes these links can be kind of you know this openness can be um some people don't like it, basically. Yeah, no, but I think that the the hyperlink is the kind of most valuable tool in terms of decentralizing mm-hmm. and uh, you know against power, against centralization of power, because it, the, the, the hyperlink mm-hmm. is really a, a very very simple device which allows you to um, break through borders and walls, and, and, mm-hmm. and you know I can have a hyperlink here and uh, that. Somebody can click on, they will go off to China and they can go to another page in China, they can mm. click a link and go to New Zealand. And it's, it's a really kind of very, very revolutionary device. Mm. And, and, yeah. that, mm. uh, and it was so powerful, it broke a whole Microsoft monopoly of, in, on information. Mm. 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 So let's get back to, I think, uh, closure then. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We have we have traversed the world. We have surfed the web, <laughs> like good old days. <laughs> we we went. I think our conversation kept clicking links again and again, and then went into all sorts of <laughs> di- directions, hyperlink discussion. Yeah. <laughs> so so you know, Malcolm, given your experience from from CGI days and and all the way up till now, you know, with the React stuff, and um, so. Because we wanted to talk about the the architectural thing, you know that 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 um, that you mentioned in your blog and a few other places already. Yeah. Uh, the atomic architecture yeah. thing. So, so what is this thing, and and what what was the you know um, uh, what is what is novelty, and what is something that you experience based, you know? Oh, this is a lesson learned. So this architecture is going to solve these kind of uh, issues yeah i, I mean it's, it's not an art, it's a sort of concept architecture but it's just yeah like a frankenstein architecture it's borrowed lots of pieces that have seen you know and, and now you're really selling it here malcolm you know <laughs> we, we say hey what is this architecture what is new well it's not an architecture okay well, it's, well, well, it's, not a, it's a sort of ugly monster that's going to kill your kids you know <laughs> i think it's i mean it's a third it, you know how there was a, a big in the last few years there's been a big debate about monolith and microservices you know microservices have been a kind of the dominant uh, mainstream architecture for coming on to about 10 years i, I guess yeah, and yeah. i yeah. think we, i think we moved from monolith to microservices and then back to like 
Deca services or something because micro is too small. So we, oh, that, we, we, okay. I, I don't know what <laughs> somewhere in between <laughs> like Senti services and they're, oh, not, they're not Millie, micro Millie, services. Millie would be the one, wouldn't they? Yeah, Millie Millie, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well, it yeah. Was a, I think it was an observation where Netflix kind of broke out and to you know microservices. And I think it was microservice mm. the main the main influence of microservices was being trapped into you know paralysis by very large you know, inflexible and I, I was reading something about the, the you know the, how aws really was kind of the the early aws or the early amazon at least was so yeah. rigid and so monolithic and so difficult to get anything done that it's you know that that spawned people the only way people could get things done is just work on their own and that's how it sort of it evolved as a reaction but i i don't i took you know nobody talked about monoliths when you know in the same way nobody took, talked about no, nobody used the word waterfall bef before the agile mm. folks did right so the the monolith is just the other it's just the thing that has been yeah yeah, like, yeah. Uh, it's the pejorative <laughs> isn't it? yeah it's a pejorative yeah. So, yeah. But the, the but there has been. I mean, I think uh, you know um, the way that people looked at ha, ha, with microservices now um, just see this kind of huge amounts of when you're debugging them. You know, you just the, the how difficult it is to reason about distributed state. And so the um, and I can give some examples. But we've all been been there where we've got you know. You say, well, you know, you want to see where the state is between this service. Has it come back? Oh, I've got telemetry. Look at the logs. And then you need to have some yep. centralized log thing to look look through and then some UI. <laughs> I mean, it's just... It's, yeah. it's, it's exactly what VJ was whinging about before we started. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a Rube Goldberg machine. That's what we've created. Yeah. Use, yeah. Or, or, um, yeah. And, and so that can't be, right? <laughs> that, and, then, <laughs> uh, and then it just... I, I think uh, I'm I'm really pitching a third way, which is you know totally understand. We don't want to go back to everybody working on the same code base and tripping up each other. You know, we do want isolation. We want autonomy. We want independence mm. from each other, right? And independence that is through having good contractual standards between teams and so on. But where the real is saying that 99% of the complexity of microservices actually comes from the fact that they're stateful. And so mm -hmm. it's not that they're independent, it's that they're independently stateful. And so if you want to simplify it again, then will you just do, you, you sort of rebuild the model. If you go back to the monolith, you don't, you, you only thing that you, you take is the, the stateful nature of the monolith. So the, you mm -hmm. create, create a headless monolith. You don't create any kind of shared UI or anything. And you say, well, just let's put all of the state at least. And that's called a database. That's what we, we, we mm. used to have. And just and I've seen in my career huge systems that are built on a on a single database. In fact, I, last last week I saw an incredible system that I, I we were very, very fortunate to have a three hour demo from uh, the Beacon people who, who are creating, you know, the Beacon are a company that create risks, uh, you know, this risk system that you can bring into your mm. bank or hedge fund, and you, you know, and it uh, you know, gives you so many foundations. But that is a system that's entirely built from, there's just one database in the middle, which is MongoDB, mm. but it could be any database, yeah. and it's just yeah. and that is distributed. Mm. And then everything else works as a sort of, you know, the, the, so that every product is all described in, 
in um, and it's a whole bunch of Python services. So, but all the Python services are stateless. They they just they they talk to um, this MongoDB, and that's how they 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 share and save things. So it's a very atomic mm-hmm. architecture in that sense. Um, state in the middle, and then let thousands and thousands of uh, services which which are all tailored to a particular user or a particular business process or goal or whatever let you know you can have as you can heavily customize services as long as you just put the state in in the center again and so the the atomicity in this the in your proposal of um, you know a blueprint or architecture is is the atomicity of the state in the middle well Yes, it is. Well, they're like all these things, right? They were, you know, it's a little bit of a play on words and a bit of a juggle, you know, you were just trying to juggle <laughs> with words. So you can think of the atom as being, you know, if you want to say, oh, it's atomic, it's like the, 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 mm-hmm. um, the atomic model with the atomic nuclear, with the nucleus and the electrons flying around it. Yeah, like, like in, the, the indivisible part that we're not going to spread it into multiple. No, things and well, yes. I mean, you. So you. You. So I was saying that the nucleus is where the state, you know, yeah. the protons and yeah, that, yeah, you yeah. Know, and then yeah. all the electrons are all the very small little services and applications that are all kind of yeah. orbiting that. And that doesn't say. Yeah, say yeah. And it also you don't have to have one atom. You might have four or five atoms. Yeah. I, I think the kind of the the atom is the, really the. Um, the department or the, you know, the group of people who all agree that they're going to save the state in the same place and collaborate. So they might be kind of all, mm. you know, one might be inserting a loan application and the other one might be, you know, approving the loan application. Another one might be, you know, do, doing some sort of reporting or something, but they're all working off the same state. And so they're in the same domain. And we've know, we know that mm. kind of from the domain driven design idea that you they all everybody's agreeing with a bounded context and a common shared language you can't scale that to thousands of people but in fact you can organize uh, companies with uh, um, into different departments as we do with groups of people who mm. can who, who can share stuff and talk the same language and then those those groups of people can create boundaries from their you know they can share their their, their state or share their functionality with other people in the mm. organization but through a contractual interface and i think that the, the 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 best one is the api the web api i think that's a really um very well accepted way of transferring it's not the best interface perhaps for you know fast latency and things like that but as a boundary mm. to your entire system where you can provide data feeds and you can provide an API surface, you can control what outsiders are allowed to do, what what business processes that they can uh, interact with. And so you get the also the opportunity by creating a contractual boundary for you to tidy up things inside. You get to encapsulate your, your um, you, know, you, you might decide you have one database at the center and then you want to split it into three, but that you can do all of that without upsetting or communicating that with your uh, external neighbors because you're able to keep that same API surface. Um, yeah. You know, you know. But but in, in this in in this design, then the what do you call that? The, the necessary services like the you know role-based access control or identity management, and so will will these things because those are the ones that other services need to talk to, right? And um, usually that's that's how the microservice design I've seen starting. Like, oh, there is a user service, mm-hmm. there is a 
you know, role service, there is some other shit or whatever, you know, things things start to blow up from from that direction. And then invoice service and then this one. But invoice service need to talk to, you know, uh, the the identity service to to get the token to make sure that this action can be performed. And um, then in in your in your mind, are there some services? So if I understand it correctly, every service is trying to communicate via the shared state rather than you know complexing and then talking to each other. Or, or what is the communication mode? Yes, I guess it is. If I if I were to submit a request for a loan and I would put it through some yep. service and that would then go into the database. And then if I was then mm. use another app saying, show me all loans that are being requested, a bit like those old yep. workflow systems that we'd have a central data. Yeah, yeah. You know, so by, by one actor might make a might make an API call and that will change the database, which would change the views mm. of other actors. And that that's something you don't get with microservices because you you mm. are sort of um, you you get the ability to report and to say right how many loan applications have we got and what status are they in and I can do that on a central database with a different report without having to go and visit and communicate with lots of other microservices some of which may be down or some of which they give and and the other the, the crucial thing I think with having all your data in one place is that you can change it consistently and you and that's so that mm. because you've got it in one place it's then uh, you're then able to treat your changes as atomic, you know, so you can say, yeah, well, yeah. my database is in state at T0, it's at state, you know, state zero, and then it can be at T1, it'll be in state one. And I, and so those, those, you can think about it as a reduction of, you know, replying functions over a, a value. And so really the whole organization is a reduction of, like, you know, and if you can, if you can do that, then it, um, that that's uh, I call that domain operations. So you you in designing your domain, you you come up with a common language, but you say I'm going to allow these operations to be done. It might be request mm-hmm. alone, or right? that would be an operation. Um, it's a kind mm-hmm. of like an event sourced uh, loan was a requested sort of past tense. Yeah, yeah, but it's a it's an operation to say you know this is this is a command. This is something I want to do. And then mm-hmm. if that is successfully approved by whatever you know, access control mechanism you've got in place, then that, mm-hmm. that is a, you know, associated with some state change, but the, it's the, the state changes are applied one after the other in a, in a queue, mm-hmm. um, such that just like a mainframe batch processing or job control system, you know, one job at a time. And the reason why that's useful is because it allows you to then, understand how your data has got how your state has got into the state it is by being able mm-hmm. to go back in time and say well we did this and when and we did this and then we revoked vj's permission and then we saw this and and it means that you've got this repeatable story it's a simulation and you don't have yeah. race conditions or side effects or in fact we revoked vj vj's access two milliseconds before you access the the yeah, loan yeah, request, yeah. but unfortunately, it didn't get through because it wasn't synced or done mm. against older data and caching or there was a sort of stale data that we made the decision on. All these amazing number of edge cases that we have to code for disappear if you mm. go back to creating a very solid simulation, which is ultimately uh, a, a, a reduction, you know, the, the reduced yeah, yeah. enclosure. That's what you're mm. just saying. That is such a useful idea reducing mm. over you know a series of functions a sequence of functions over a value why don't we make the value the database and then 
you know, and of course people say, well, that won't scale. But actually, you know, when you when you really, if you if you're able to submit these operations asynchronously into a queue, um, you know, queues are fine. You know, you get like like it's okay to funnel everybody through a kind of yeah. you know, metal detector at an airport. I mean, everyone gets through eventually. I mean, flight flight might, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it doesn't. But that's how, in the end, that's how systems actually do scale, isn't it? I mean, that's. That's what we found. In fact, that's what really happens. You know, if you look at like the Amazons and the Netflixes, etc., that's what they're always doing. They're always making a, these asynchronous things. Yeah. So that that's that's the mechanism for for scaling, actually. Yeah, and then banking is banking, financial transactions. Yeah, banking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, automated clearing. Yeah, yeah. it's all ultimately yeah. kind of at one queue, one done. You know, and and I think yeah, yeah. it's all it's an ordered list of transactions. If it wasn't ordered, you'd be screwed. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Like it, it depends on how much you care about the consistency and accuracy in, uh, of your data. I mean, if you just don't care about it, then that's fine. But if you do care about it and it's people's money or it's people's bookings or it's their products that you're shipping them or it's their, you know, insurance or whatever, or health information or something like that, mm-hmm. if it is of any importance to you, then you should, the, the, the standards at which we should treat data, consistency should be, a given, right? There, there should be no way that I can make uh, a system where two people manage to get the same hospital booking on the same day at the, with the same doctor, and then they turn up to a hospital and all I'm afraid of it. Or there should be no way that you should order something and it says, yeah, and takes your money, but then, oh, we, we didn't have enough ladders at the factory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. that should not yeah. be possible, but we, we make it possible because we don't treat data with any respect or care we, and i think that goes through a lot of the complexities that we find in the modern world sometimes it feels like though that's a business model actually it feels like overfilling seats on an airplane is a business model rather than a sort of deliberate tactic well that's all, yeah you know, it's okay yeah. you make it <laughs> but at least you're doing it consistently you know that yeah yeah exactly yeah you know the alternatives are, oh, oh, oh i think there's enough room in the plane oh let me just check oh no i no there isn't you know it, it is sort of yeah, or I, I overfill it by like twenty percent because I know there's an attrition rate of about eighteen to twenty-one percent, so I'll probably be okay. Yeah, exactly. And then you, yeah. I think yeah. I think it's gonna be fun. Yeah. Like you know, every time my bank thinks, well, I'm gonna you know inflate his bank account by twenty percent <laughs> because I expect he's gonna have twenty percent, and then I spend all the money, and they're like, well, give me twenty percent back, and <laughs> like like over overbooking the planes, and then they're they're overbooking money. Yeah, my, my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, but but my so the the state argument in terms of the technical things, you know, swimming swinging back the pendulum towards you know, you know shared state yeah. makes sense. But but why do you think the pendulum pendulum has swung in the direction of microservices in the first place? Because there, there might be like a, are there like organizational things or or the complexity of how. Uh, teams are working in companies or how, how is that going to be solved because it's not just one dimensional problem right i mean there might be different uh, yeah of course as you said at hand yeah there are lots of reasons why people organize it, it's mostly mm-hmm. people call it conway's law but i i don't have yeah yeah that, exactly but, you yeah. know that that of course um yeah you know if if you've got like if you're at a, a wedding, right, and you've got seven tables and you've got 10 people on each table, are you going to have high 
bandwidth conversations between on the table. You know, just, it's just obviously the way you, yeah. you organize. And um, yeah, uh, but so, but what I'm trying to say is, is there there isn't a technical reason to do it. And I'm saying there isn't a performance yeah. reason unless you get up to kind of like Google scale but google do things differently mm. because they have to deal with billions of you know that that's their their model but not everybody needs to build a google system yeah. and in fact i'm not even sure that that just that justifies microservices the fact that you know you've got to get up to google scale i'm not even sure that that's even true i just think i i, I think mm. that um microservices has more or less come about because of an organizational uh failure right it's a failure of technical mm. leadership that um so conway's law is a it, it is people talk about conway's law like it's some sort of kind of law of thermodynamics or something like that. <laughs> yeah 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 i mean i think that calling this pe- these things law like physics laws, yeah, yeah it's kind yeah. of a yeah. weirdness and it's not even true <laughs> it's, it's a conway's idea <laughs> yeah it, it's like it's a totally it's an assertion yeah, it's a, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It, it doesn't even stand up to cursory criticism i mean it's like saying that yeah. um i could open up the um was it the the fat man nuclear atomic first atomic bomb that was dropped on his yeah, yeah somehow dissect it and open up the bomb and i'd be able to figure out them the organization the, the organization structure <laughs> it's just, it's just, well it blew up so yeah. <laughs> it was a poor example but you know that that's a very yeah. bad thing. like it, you of course, if you leave everything to sort of random Brownian motion and, you know, if you had no leadership at all, then people are going to mm-hmm. come together and they're going to cobble together solutions. Of course, that is a tendency. But the point of it all is this is all about um, uh, leadership. I think Mel Conway's original paper talked about the, you know, the design organization of, you know, that, that, that if you're if your design organization is distributed and then you've got, lots, but, it, but we've done lots of things by, technical mm. leadership with the internet for example right the, the the very existence of the internet and of ip the internet mm. protocol and the coming together and creating rfcs and going off that is a, that is an enormous ev- exhibit of evidence that counters conway's law and i think people use conway's law as a sort of excuse for failure of why it happened mm. like that mm. and and I can't see anybody. I, I just don't have any time for it. I'm afraid it's just mm. <laughs> I, it, because I think it, a lot of IT is around leadership, right? And you mm. and and we have uh, and leadership is hard, and you have to have, um, you know, that today you have to be very technical and knowledge and as an engineer to you know leaders have to be very savvy engineering wise they have to understand development and deep you know and they have to understand they have to have a lot of soft skills they have to have a lot of organizational skills and leadership skills it's a it's a tough thing to ask people to do um but uh i think what you're doing now malcolm which is interesting is that you're you're kind of like fulfilling a gap because the, the problem that leaders have is that they that they have to arm themselves with information and there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of Conway's law. There's a lot of other laws, a lot of, a lot of microservices, a lot of tree shaking. There's a lot of stuff that's going on. And, you know, and we know that the industry is sort of, it's moving at what seems to be an ever accelerating speed mm. um, towards whatever, you know, it's like, but I remember 
listening to someone before about velocity is that velocity is fine, but the problem is you might be going fast in a completely wrong direction. Mm. And that's, it feels like we're always like going off in completely wild directions and eventually kind of recalibrating, rethinking. Mm. But what leaders need is leaders need kind of actionable strategies. Mm. They need something which says, hmm, okay, if this isn't true or that isn't true or I'm not, I'm not feeling this or I'm not feeling that, I need ideas. I need something I can pick up off the off the shelf. Mm. I need something that I can pick up from a website and say, hmm, this is something which makes sense. It's got a rationale and actually I can action on it as well. Yeah. And that's what it feels like you're trying to to put on to put on the table there well that's what atomic architecture it that's why it's got that alliterative acronym and it's kind of got a you know it could have a website mm. and you can imagine we've got some kind of ideas for some sort of uh, like the atomic age kind of um theme and things um we've mocked up a few websites on it and things but it, yeah you th- things have to be packaged in a way that a leader mm. can kind of read in a blog or or hear in a podcast or get in a book mm-hmm. and and uh uh and unfortunately you, you well i'm at the stage of of really socializing the idea because i just want to kind of yeah, yeah. graft you know get as much feedback and think about this for a while and actually try it out on different you know actually look for examples of atomic like architectures because of course these things exist it's just the you got to go along and you got to give the name to the thing you know that's why mm-hmm. I, yeah yeah I, that's uh yeah. I think your I think emphasis on standards this... is a good thing as well. Just one just one more thing, Vijay. It's because, yeah. like, you know, you were talking, Vijay, about identity services and stuff like this. But there are internet standards for this. You know, there are mm. there are rules about how to, you know, produce tokens and there are standards for producing tokens and standards for validating them and verifying them and all these kind of things. Um yeah, yeah. so you know, you might you might end up having some service that's running, but that service should be from and it, you know, there are plenty of vendors that do this you know so so there's no reason that you have to start everything from scratch yeah you know that's mm. the nice thing about standards isn't it is that you can pick a standard and then you can find an implementation and hopefully yeah i, I, I mean I, I think that the reason why you can't you i've sort of waited for a while for you you can't really build an atomic architecture kind of 10 years ago because they're so one of the one of the principles of atomic architecture is that you know who does each operation. When it's when you call an operation like request loan, you, every API call is called with a, to, a bearer token, and that bearer token is a standard thing on the internet. It's part of the OAuth two family of specifications, and yeah, the, yeah. this whole acquisition of access tokens requires vendor software, and you know those things are available now, but they weren't ten years ago. But now I think we've we've almost arrived at a very we've we've finally got agreement in an area where we very rarely get agreement and that is how mm. computers should talk to each other and we've got a, an agreement on you know that, that it's you know the http api is the sort of the mainstream i mean of course there are other alternatives but you know to have one thing that is like the stack the, the mainstream and then you've got this ability to allow applications to call apis i mean they are application programming interfaces, after all. You want applications to do it on behalf of users that are that, that are engaging in the business processes, and and so we can we haven't really been able to do that without users telling what giving their applications their passwords, and that's obviously not a mm-hmm. not a sustainable thing. So it's only recently we've been able to do federated or delegated 
uh, access from where yeah. applications can access data on yeah, behalf yeah. of users. And so all of these, all of these layers have had to be built before you can, we can finally get to a point where we can build systems where we know what's going on or who's doing things. That, that's, that's been a key, uh, key component of atomic architecture that, and, you know, and I think that's a big failure of microservices is simply the security, the, the security issues are just not, we just don't, it's so hard to make, it's so hard, hard to make distributed systems secure because there's so many yep. different surfaces that you have to protect. It's very, very hard, mm-hmm. especially we've got small independent teams and they're all building little services. It's a, it's a massive mm-hmm. deal to ask them to make them secure as well. Um, and all the other things that they have to attend to. So it's a, it's a recipe for disaster because you're giving yeah. small teams very small amount of time to do a vast amount of requirements that you must do in order to create secure services. That doesn't sound like it's mm. a, a good management tactic. But having having this these ideas as as you know Ray, you are talking about like having the leadership, you know, uh, leaders getting the information from somewhere. Mm. I think the the information w- what I feel is that these days of maybe you know even from the beginning is that regardless of what kind of technology it is, what kind of architecture it is, what kind of new idea it is, it is always about, you know, uh, oh, this is how this is how awesome it is. But nobody gives the context. Like in this context, this fits well. Like what what I would love to see, you know, or at least for me, as a as a person who can't have all the knowledge in the world, obviously. So I need to depend on on the people who are creating amazing software and telling me that look, this is good for this. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have these problems, don't use this thing. You know, mm. it'll be nice to see that kind of a uh, because that's better coming from the creators rather than some people trying to pushing this square peg through round hole or whatever, and then deciding well it worked for us. You know, and, and use this for everything like Kubernetes. You know, like use this for everything or uh, serverless uh, cloud native architecture. Everything like I, I think that the, the, the it would be much nicer and, and transparent if we say, look, this is the architecture or this is the technology, this is the you know database, this is the programming language, whatever the thing that we are building. Mm. And when when it is being built, it was built with some specific thing in mind. And then because if everything has trade-offs, right? Everything has pros and cons. Mm. And when it when like the reason why microservices became like you know big swing in the industry because Everybody thought that is the way to build, and same with React, same with you know all the, all this shit. Again, we are we are falling into the same grand narrative of oh, this is the way that things should be built again. Mm. But it would be nice to have like one section explaining this is the, this is the problems, and this is where we came to this this conclusion. This might not be the solution for this one. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, that, yeah. I think yeah. I I agree and I disagree. I mean, I agree that mm. you you need to know what you're optimizing. What are you trying to optimize? Yeah. Okay, so I'm trying to be. Yeah. I'm trying to optimize uh, data security, but the data, the, the handling of data, as if they're precious records to your business, and they need to, mm. the numbers need to add up. So, sort of high, uh, high care uh, of data, mm. um, and that mm. um, I am definitely not opti- trying to optimize performance or, you know, vast scale. Yeah. Right? And, and but then there is this, there is this kind of desire that you get this painting by numbers guy, just do this, this, and this, and this, and just implement this yeah, yeah, and yeah. on it, it will work. But in fact, you know, building systems, um, 
you know, it, it, it is a difficult art and it requires intuition. Mm. And so you, you have to say, well, with, you, you, somebody has to make a decision. Well, they're, they're going to take some ideas and they're going to have to make a decision how to apply those ideas in the context. And it, and I, I, I haven't, you know, um, I can't give you a whole set of industries or atomic architecture or, you know, one day, hopefully that, that will be something I can point to that all these, but that actually yep. is probably more likely that those projects will be obsolete by the time that you come to build something. I mean, it's the, the, the problem is that the things are always moving ahead. And so you, you really, the, every system is different and you, you don't really get much opportunity to just copy and paste a system and say, well, this works over here. It's going to work for my domain. A lot of it is to a, a bit of trial and error and a bit of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally understand that, but what I'm coming at is like, you know, the uh, maybe not like, Oh, this is not good for something, but at least giving you the context, right. I'm trying to look up the, there was some uh, tool. I think it's probably built by either Airbus or one of these companies. Uh, it's a competitor to Kafka or Kafka like, like uh, product. But I was very impressed by their readme and documentation yeah. that they specifically say, hey, this, these are the constraints. These are the trade-offs that we made in designing this system. And it is built in this way. It might work for you. It might not work for you. We don't know. So, so you know, explain. Uh, it, it, it clearly explains the constraints and the context in which the, the, the solution was built. Yeah. Right. And, and th- that's what I miss in most of these, these, you know, technologies or languages or everything, because... Uh, I, I would like to see what is the context to to bring this idea, mm. you know, into fruition to 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 first version or first beta, whatever the version that you're releasing. Mm. Or I think that would be very helpful for me to understand. Oh, do I have the same problems, and will I reach the same conclusion? Then this seems to be like a nice, uh, you know, um, synergy <laughs> in in terms of the solution, and to to, to you know to use the buzzword, <laughs> managerial word. <laughs> Isn't it kind of like saying where is the pain? Yeah, because I think yeah. one of the things that one of the things I think we're very good at, by the way, is pretending we're not suffering. And I think <laughs> you know, it was the Stockholm syndrome abounds. You know, sort of co- we're high yeah. on copium. I mean, you know, this, I like this sort of joke that that you know, whenever I see these kind of motivational speeches or whatever, it's just like copium tastic. <laughs> you know, copium is the new yeah. you know copium for yeah. the people. So yeah. I think I think uh, I think that's part of the problem. It's like you know, first uh, you're doing you know, like some humanities. You know, the first yeah. step towards change is admitting there's a problem. <laughs> so, yes, but I think that's that's probably <laughs> exactly. what probably what the motivation is, Malcolm, isn't it? It's like okay, look, guys, you know, there's a there's a bunch of things going wrong here. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I guess what you're saying is there should be a list of things, and and hopefully. There's enough people, sort of, essentially, the lights are coming on, saying, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, I yeah. see it, I see it, it's, it's like, for me." Yeah, yeah, if you, I get yeah it. Or, if you don't see the, or the other way around, like, no, I don't have this problem, so I'm not going to take this medicine. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people should be yeah, able yeah, to yeah. say that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I guess so, that yeah. what I'm trying to say to people is that I clearly think that the that the complexity or the majority of complexity in these systems is caused by the distribution of state. Now, you can either, yeah. you know, a lot of people will reject that, mm. uh, you know, and in fact, yeah, yeah. shared databases in microservices is seen by some people as some, something of an anti-pattern, right? And that's, that's mm-hmm. completely fine. So I'm making this yeah. assertion that in my view, and I like I've, I've had a distributed systems background and then I was a core programmer, you know, and I've been building application service. You know, I've, I've, I kind of have 
have really tried to make distributed. I used to yes. write a distributed transaction broker once and, you know, XA transact, you know, two phase commit, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I have tried hard yeah. to make this all this sort of, and I just think that it's just too difficult. And, and therefore mm. I'm, that's my position, right? That, that actually, unless mm. you absolutely have to, and you've got a really, um, an exceptional situation, you should try at least in the first instance to build off a single state store, which, yeah. and then, but I know the problems that we had in the, you know, nineties and noughties of everybody hammering on the same database and tables. And it's, and, and when that, yeah. you know, I call it a student kitchen, right? When everybody mm-hmm. got the same shared, kind of shared space right it's going to be tragedy of the commons so a lot of atomic architecture after the shared state principle is actually mitigations to how to prevent the thing turning into a student kitchen and that's the like the so the um the abstraction of operations so it's not like oh you get to insert into tables randomly you don't get to know what the tables are you you get to define the operations and the operation is an important unit of currency really because it's it, it's at that that you attach the access control you say what well, when you define what it means to request a loan that's the point at which you said well who is allowed to request a loan so that that almost drives the conversation about what your personas are who your your, your roles are what you're going to allow people to do um, and so that that is the common language and that's very much borrowed from the domain-driven development uh, design people. And then after you've got that, well, then you see, well, you, if you've got all these operations, you just can't let every uh, free-for-all, you can't let everybody request loans and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, So then you're building another level of maturity saying, well, we've got to restrict who can call what. And how, will that, and how do we do that unless we know who it is that's calling the operation? You know, And so it goes on and on yeah. and on. And you finally realise that actually... Um, you need these operations applied one after the other if you want to preserve consistency. So that's the, you know, and then because you apply them one after the, the other, you then have the opportunity to create an event log, which is a sort of a bit of an optional mm. principle. But the idea of having this um, ledger really is a ledger set or yep. a, a log, uh, but it's a maybe a public log of saying this is exactly what happened. You can give it to an auditor and say trace through these steps. And you'll arrive at exactly mm. the same um, state as we have, you know, if you want to. So asking questions of the past. Um, and then, of course, when you're asking questions of the past, you want to be able to recreate the whole state when you're trying to work out why was this loan approved two years ago? You know, in order to answer those questions, sometimes you need to be able to roll back the database to that particular date in order to yeah. answer certain questions. So that's where having bi-temporality, you know, which is a little bit of a hat tip to, you know, XDDB and a bit of a marketing sort of. Yeah, I mean, that's what, I mean, I, I was trying to, you know, uh, put a question to, you know, to, to I don't know, <laughs> contrived question to push you there. <laughs> because by design, as you're explaining the student kitchen situation, like, you know, many readers and then, you know, having this contention of resources. Um, because when, when I see the design that you made, like there is this op- operational side and there is analytics side, you know, I, I was on the both sides and mostly on the analytics side in the past, uh, you know, five, six years where, where we had to build this reporting and everything. And and you, you're always, if you're using quote unquote traditional databases here, you're, you're kind of fucked because I cannot keep querying the production database to generate these, uh, you know, looker reports or whatever. So um, uh, obviously the, the, then I have the, you know, uh, read replicas and then everything that comes with all the issues with that one yeah. and CDC and all that nonsense comes in. So, so. 
to to solve this problem to have a shared state you need to have a certain uh, technology in the middle certain type of database in the middle that is going to help with this right as you mentioned like uh, xdb probably yes although i think you can create it in with different tools and products yeah 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 but it's going to be more more work yeah, yeah. it's going to be more, more work but it, i, I <laughs> yeah. think at a certain level you would you you're, you're really just saying these are desirable qualities of the system and this is how yeah. you'd go about kind of and then you there are a lot in your in a, any given context there might be quite a lot of work to do to you know integrate mm. so you might want a search engine in there elastic search or something so you, you yeah. just but it's a it, a lot of these things are just ways of thinking and they're like mental um these principles allow you to at any given decision point you can say we're going to go left rather than right so that's it's really yeah. not for i'm not trying with atomic architecture to lay down a blueprint of how to build a system i'm really just giving yeah, yeah. people a kind of map of how to make decisions and um, mm. that it, it is try to get the benefits of shared state without all of the, the the obvious downsides although i'm sure there are ones that i've not experienced which are still lurking in there about mm. you know but the the trade-offs is having having shared state is well worth i believe yeah. the, the pain points but it depends on your, mm. your calculus yeah yeah nice so i think the Maybe we should talk a little bit about closure because it's closure podcast, I think. Mm. <laughs> Still, yeah. I think we 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 went from <laughs> web to a little bit of humanities and then ranting about everything and then coming back to uh, you know architectural things. So uh, you you your company and then you're, you're still working in closure, yeah. right? I mean, there are lots of plenty of closure things, and and so uh, again, based on. I don't know. It's been ten years, or I don't know how many years uh, you've been. Yeah, ten, to ten and work yeah, ten and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so where, where do you see now? I mean, where, where do you see yourself now? Because are you still fully on closure, or do you think, well, it's time to rethink and then you know create a new browser and then go, <laughs> go to the next next one? Or is there anything on your radar in the closure world and then outside? I, I think the closure world is still a source of great. You know, we. We were going to talk about Squint and Skittle, or you know, this is great. Yeah. Um, mm. Within Closure, kind of the unfair advantages of having a language where you know, in most other languages, I've found that you you end up uh, with with so many things that you're fighting against, you don't really make forward progress. So you know, I find Closure a fantastic research language. It's also, I think, mm. a, a secret weapon where a, kind of um, a, a company. Can use it and can exploit it. It can be a, a force for, you know, real innovation. And you know, some companies find themselves in where they're they're really conservative and they've got lots of procedures and policies for, you know, and, but they they so sometimes closure isn't an option for them. And then there are other other companies that are mm. less constrained and they they want to use you know leverage closure. I mean, we we found that closure has been a good choice for us because people who Come to the closure community are often people who have experienced these problems and appreciate the value of closure and then therefore they're almost a self-selecting group of individuals mm. so, you know they tend to be the, the people you'd want to hire in any team because they, they yeah. um, tend to be you know uh, have initiative and have self-taught and have uh, you know those are exactly the sort of people you want on your team but uh, so for that reason i think closures has been a good choice and we use it Internally, we use it for our own projects. It's used for XDB 
you know, the mm. version two, and it's a, just a great language for building things that are innovative. I mean, it was no surprise when we, we, we were on, on another podcast, Juxcast, we were, we were talking to Nathan Mars the other day. I don't know if <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to drop another name. Another big name. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. You know, of course, Rama has built enclosure, although you wouldn't, you know, know from the marketing, but that, you know, you can see that that choice of language, if you're trying to build something like Rama or like XDP, XDB, then mm. that that makes a whole load of sense. If you're just trying to build something in a in an organization and you've got to follow, you know, you, you're building a, a microservice or, or something like that, you know, they're like, I, I don't know, you know, I think like um, it, the thinking matters more than the language. The language definitely helps, but I, I'm more interested in the experience I've had using Clojure and I'm seeing mm. in the small that functions and having state in one place like you're writing reframe applications we've built some really fantastic front ends and reframe which i just don't think we would have been able to build in javascript because you mm. you get mm. really quickly into javascript where your your early choice of l- libraries and things that you've made are absolutely critical whereas going to reframe is such a safe choice we've created mm. some amazing things but i've known that reframe is fundamentally an atomic architecture it's got this kind of atomic state in the middle and you know the, yeah, and yeah. then all the functions that fly around it and apply changes and it does work mm. and so i mm. feel mm. that the, the the this these key ideas of separating state and functions and closure it's just been like really are these kind of cornerstones to why it's such a nice environment Mm. To me, I mean, I was to, to echo that. I I slightly disagree with you as well, uh, because why not? <laughs> Is that I think language <laughs> this, this is still think, our podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Screw you, Malcolm. Come on. <laughs> um, no, but I think language does matter. We're because... not on Jack's cast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the hit, the hit is <laughs> actually I've been on Jack's cast, so <laughs> they've got all the names. <laughs> you're, just, you're just you're just you know promiscuous with podcasts now <laughs> yeah we've had all the big names <laughs> and then they, and then and then they had to resort to you finally like they checked out everyone oh god <laughs> anyway 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 so i was gonna say the, the reason why i think closure is important i think the reason why people end up landing there is because you know, it's actually hard to do what you, well, it's always possible to chew in complete languages, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. You can do what you want with these languages. But actually, if you want, for example, to have immutability, you can do it in Java, but it's not easy. It ain't easy, you know? And if you want to do it in JavaScript, you can do it. You can use, you know, you can use Ramda or, uh, you know, a whole bunch of like functional libraries. Um, but it's not easy and it's not idiomatic and the other people in that community aren't going to like it they're going to be they're going to be kind of not exactly offended or annoyed but they're going to be surprised at the very least that you know that you're doing things in a certain way that is countercultural you know so you can achieve these things but you know well, what I was just what I was really trying to say, fundamentally, cutting to the chase. I know, I know, you know the answer anyway, which is that you know, doing immutability in JavaScript and other languages, it's not as easy as it is. You know, it's feasible, but it's not the default. It's not idiomatic. So, I think languages do matter, 
Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, closure is not the sum of the parts. It's some sort of magical kind of. So you know, the, the, it's definitely yeah, it's impossible to sort of achieve the same kind of Zen by just doing Python or Rust or something in a closure style. We tried that. Mm. Doesn't yeah. doesn't work, you know. And so, um, yeah, it is a shame that like uh, we were talking about the build steps and things. It is a shame that it's not. Mm. Kind of, Brendan Ike wasn't, you know, Richard Hick, Rich Hickey wasn't at that uh, Netscape. <laughs> yeah. The thing, the thing that's but always strikes me though. On, on sorry, I was just going to say quickly was that, um, yeah. like, a lot of language people now kind of know this about immutability. They know that it's a problem, you know, and Rust, Rust kind of acknowledges it and um, sort sort of, um, but it. And there's a lot of people in the language community know that immutability is. Is a good thing to promote, yeah. Um, and yet, and yet, it's not common, you know. And I know that there's you know, various people sort of asking questions about why not, why, why isn't, why isn't, why isn't you know, functional or immutability like taking over the world? And it feels like a lot of the algorithms and these kind of things are still written with that kind of like uh, like low level optimizations in mind. And it sort of bleeds out into the, into what we call the real world. Yeah, you know that people are always trying to essentially say, "Oh, you know, it's all great with your immutability, but in the end, the real world, in the real business, we have to change things, and you know, you just can't. It's just too hard with a functional programming language." I think. What's your I, what's your, what's your counter argument to that? I, if you have mutable state in any program, like and 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 at scale when you're passing references to you know and, and then you it trips you up and you, if you're trying you, you you end up debugging stuff and you spend a lot of time in the debugger and it's just a it's a thing like garbage collection that really ought to be a standard feature uh, you know you you you've i don't know what the state of Immutability is in Python because I'm not really deep into Python, but I guess you know you've got date classes and the same problem you have in Java. We've got uh, you, you know these foot guns lying everywhere, and therefore yep. you have to just just it's so easy to screw everything up and making mistakes in programming. And yeah. hmm. my colleagues spend ages and late at night in trying to debug something. It's just as there's this feeling I get when I'm working on projects that aren't using closure there's a lot of time that is spent trying to f- figure out and debug something they're really an issue that shouldn't exist but it's difficult mm. to kind of explain that really it's that blood paradox yeah that, yeah <laughs> you, know, you can't it, it, it's definitely it's my closure will always be my kind of go-to language for trying things out and building things at any kind of scale because it's just safe it's just safer to do so that said i do have an answer to i think really the mutability that that state should be in the database right it should be persisted not just persistent mm-hmm. structure should be persisted and that for the most part we should just not put too much state in our programs and you thought with cloud and you know the ephemeral you know services going being shut down and started up on different nodes and things like the cloud kubernetes thing would would mean that people are less writing state inside their their programs anyway and there would be more stateless programmed mm-hmm. you know, so i presume that is a trend but like i'm just i've just learned last 10 years that you know databases are 
probably going to come back because they do have some solutions to like maybe the you know maybe this microservices phase is going to like the furthest we'll ever go away from the you know solar system of databases we're sort of coming back and realizing why databases were good and yeah. why there's it's just all this new energy in databases and i think um you know databases are the uh, you, you should start with the database and grow out and uh uh, it's unfortunate that, that databases got a bad press because most databases were sort of built in the 80s and they're crap. Yeah. Um, but Don't you think it's like the problem that we were talking about before with the browsers and everything, that, that databases got to a certain point where you know they answered a lot of problems um, and then the web came along and then didn't answer the problems anymore. They, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't able to be web scale <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna stop at that one but you know, but the whole idea of sort of mongodb you know and the whole idea of kind of like no sql and all these kind of things were kind of responses to the ossification of uh, oracle essentially and the sort of i mean the business practice of oracle weren't very nice but there were options with postgres and mm. stuff like that and you know other other ones like um like um, I used to work for a company called Ingress back in the eighties, actually in nineties. Mm. Um, yeah, and there were there were various other sort of like competitors in that space, but but obviously Oracle was the big dog. But it it kind of like lost it lost ground rapidly in the internet age, and it feels like the internet as such was kind of responsible for this dispersal of state. Mm. I, I'd put it there. I mean, you know, I don't know what you feel about that. Yeah, I mean the web. The web was founded on this kind of file system concept rather than the database concept, and so there's always been a bit of a impedance mismatch. I don't think mm. fundamentally that file systems are actually a good um, a, a database for web resources. I think databases are better for web resources. And that's <laughs> true, of course. Yeah. yeah, something I've been trying trying to push quite heavily that you know that. Um, Resources need metadata, and kind of embedding metadata in file names is a bad idea. But like I think it was just two different communities, really, and uh, it's unfortunate that there hasn't been more kind of web servers that have been built around databases and things tried in that area. But I think there's definitely a there's lots of research happening in the database world, distributed databases and NoSQL and SQL, you know, new SQL. Um, I, I think we we haven't really, you know, we haven't seen the end of that. I think we're seeing it kind of people will modernize, modernize the database. There is definitely a problem with kind of everything in databases being tables and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. schema, and um, and uh, so there are kind of various approaches. And the new SQL standards have got much better uh, support for trees or document more like JSON documents, and there's much more support mm-hmm. than JSON. Yep. So um, we'll see, but it's a good area of research, and I think things will improve. Um, but uh, yeah, I agree with you that that I think the conceptually databases are the right. You know, we need we we need, need some of what some of the properties that databases have, like you know, transactional consistency, which we've traded off far too prematurely but we mm. it would be much nicer if they were much more modern and i i don't mm. like the the old you know like stored procedures and the 
the, the SQL languages and mm. the, you know it's yeah. the same. I mean SQL is everywhere, but it's a bit it's it, it's um, when we used to write thousands of pages of SQL and it's all very much <laughs> yeah. and doesn't compose very well. It's not a very scalable language, but there are much much yeah. languages out there. But hopefully something will come along. But the other mm. thing that I was going to say is that you mentioned there that like the file system. And it's one of the things, it's a bugbear for me as well, is that file systems, <laughs> they're kind of like a ball and chain for us, I feel. You know, they're, Microsoft tried to kill the Unix file system, you know, with its its version of drives and stuff like this. Yeah. Didn't didn't really work. Um, so the file systems, everything is basically around the Unix notion of a file system still. But, but that's still, a, it's a kind of really weird abstraction, I think. And it's a very binding abstraction, um, a very tight abstraction to do with this like hierarchy of um, things that is very much a sort of like a, a, a directed acyclical graph. Yeah. Um, but in fact, you know, it's like like you were saying with links or hypertext. You know, that's not the way the real world is. You, know, you don't want to be traveling all the way through in, mm. to get to a particular file. You want just to have a, essentially a content, a hash. Yeah. You want to have a content-based addressing rather than sort of some sort of path-based addressing. Yeah. Um, and you can do that kind of thing in databases for yeah. all kinds of content. Um, you know, which is like that's one of the sort of like bugbears that I've got about uh, about like the way that the, the web is and the way that a lot of people treat content these days. Mm. You know, they treat it as if it's a file. Yeah. Um, which is completely like. It's a completely constraining, um, a very confining abstraction. In fact, it's not, and I don't find it a very good abstraction because it's very much based around like the necessities of spinning disks. Yeah, yeah. It, it forces one organization on you, but it really is. Um, well, yeah, it, it, it's like the URL. I think is better as you know, it's a, a virtual. Pointer or identity, yeah, yeah. and you know yeah. the web resource is a better idea than a file. You know it is definitely a file system plus plus. You know the idea of a, a web resource you don't you, you know existing on some sort of thing on in the DNS space, and you you can navigate to it, and it can be on it. You know you can have um, it can cross file system boundaries and host boundaries, and mm, mm, mm. Um, yeah, I mean it's uh, and it can. Yeah, content negotiation, all that stuff. I don't think the web, you know, the web is a great kind of improvement to the file system, but unfortunately, most web servers, the static stuff is all kind of still assuming that it's a file system, or at least it still has that model. Um, yeah. I think it would be good, much, much better if webs, you know, the web was built on databases. And nobody seems to be doing that, but that, like, for me, is the natural progression of, you know, web websites is that they're kind of much more i mean i know the cms's and stuff but like, yeah 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 like having all data records that are mm. web resources you know everything all, all records in a in an organization should be ultimately a web resource because you know a lot of that was the real innovation of the web for me was that you could mm, just mm. have a url click it and you could share it with somebody or you could mm, you know that building mm. identity and you go go to places today and there's still lots of pieces of information that you can't access without going through a particular path through an application that you have to mm -hmm. click a bunch of menus and get you, you, you know and really information 
is much better organized if it's you know has identity and can be mm-hmm. you know, can be referenced yeah nice and has so a history it's a, yeah it's a yeah. good it's a good place to i think round it up because we're almost reaching like 2 hours yeah <laughs> i don't want to keep God. you <laughs> even longer <laughs> <laughs> clicking on another link and then going into another topic <laughs> So the, the, thanks a lot Malcolm for joining us again. I think um you know it's a, it's always uh, you know so many things I learned talking to you you know people like you as well like having so much of experience and it's really fun to see what you're thinking and what new ideas or new ways of you know thinking about the same problem and then solving it in a different way. And uh yeah I, I really appreciate that. And yeah I'm going to link to the um, uh, your atomic architecture post. Is there anything else that uh that you you want our um, couple of listeners to know about this one i'm pretty sure we are at least the second uh, podcast after jextcast <laughs> <laughs> in, in terms of uh, audiences <laughs> yeah i know there's a webinar link somewhere about the atomic architecture but but i i will link that from the blog post so if you link it to yeah. the post that be great perfect yeah yeah super then um thanks a lot thanks a lot for taking the time and uh, you know um i hope uh, we'll we'll meet again in one of the closure uh, events <laughs> i hope yeah yeah and, great to be on thank I, again i really really enjoyed it thanks ray thanks dj that was yeah. really good thanks a lot malcolm yeah. yeah thank you and thanks a lot folks and uh, wherever you are stay safe uh, stay warm or cold depending on whatever the hemisphere you're on uh, well that's me assuming that there are people who are listening to this in different hemispheres which is a bit of a stretch <laughs> but uh, well there are only two hemispheres so there is a chance that one is there one is here so uh <laughs> good luck and um we'll see you next time hopefully this year maybe next year who knows you know in the in the episode number whatever you know xy <laughs> so, yeah. the outro is a professional as well malcolm yeah he's working on that one as well he's yeah, doing a great exactly. job <laughs> I mean, we're halfway there you know <laughs> it's very much very much this this is as much a polish i have left in my uh, in my box thanks everyone see you next time bye thank you for listening to this episode of defan and the awesome vegetarian music or the track is melon hamburger by pizzeri and the show's audio is mixed by walter dullert i'm pretty sure i butchered his name um maybe you should insert your own name here dullert walter If you'd like to support us, uh, please do check out our Patreon page and you can show your appreciation to all the hard work or the lack of hard work that we're doing. And um, you can also catch up with uh, either Ray with me for some unexplainable reason. Uh, you want to interact with us then uh, do check us out on Slack, Closure and Slack or Closureverse or on Zulip or just at us at Defend Podcast on Twitter. Enjoy your day and see you in the next episode. You know what Malcolm was saying that like you can't like you you couldn't unpick the organizational structure from the end product. I think you probably could here, you know, it's like <laughs>
<laughs> oh yeah, we know this one. We know this one's a deafen. 